Amen. It was the year of 1665, and the city was London, England, and a great plague struck that city with a fierceness that up to that point had never been known. We know a little bit about plagues here in our country and literally around the world over the last few years. Specifically in this 17th century year, 90,000 people in London perished under the grip that the bubonic plague, or actually it was called the Black Death, that was the, the name given to this plague. Half of the population of London at the time gave in to its death grip, and the medical profession was absolutely baffled. They didn't know what caused it, and they certainly didn't know how to get rid of it. They saw its symptoms, and their symptoms were very well known, but nothing, it seemed, could stop the Black Death. A year later, in 1666, on a Sunday evening, uh, a fire started in a bakery on a street called Pudding Lane. I would love to live on Pudding Lane. <laughs> and um, due to very dry conditions, uh, that fire began to sweep not only through that bakery, but, but some of the houses that were nearby. The fire started on September 2nd, and it burned continuously for five days. So it started on Sunday night, and it was only sufficiently extinguished on Thursday of that week. The fire's damage was more severe than the German bombs uh, that would come in World War II. It devoured 13,000 homes and 89 churches. History would simply call it the Great London Fire. In fact, in London today, there's a very tall monument called the Great London Fire monument. When the smoke finally began to clear, the doctors began to treat burn victims and those that had been uh, affected by the fire. And someone finally realized something, that after the fire, the cases of the Black Death almost went to zero. So what they had been struggling with for over a year, somehow, after the fire, went away. And they were puzzled about that. They studied it and they came to this conclusion. They said the fire stopped what human ingenuity could not. And the great fire destroyed the black death. The great fire destroyed the germs and the bacteria that spread the plague from one person to another. Now, at risk of, of sounding a little uh, casual, and I don't mean to sound casual today, I don't have to convince anybody in this place that our world is in a bad way right now. Do I need to go down the list? I don't think I need to go down the list. We all understand our culture is messed up right now. But what we need right now is we don't need more pundits we don't even need more opinions. We need the fire of God's Spirit to baptize people. We need there to be something that would burn up everything that would be negative. We need a Holy Ghost revival. We need a move of God's Spirit more than we've ever needed a move of God's Spirit before. How many know that's the solution right now? 
That's what this world needs. That's what our country needs right now. Amen. And so I have made up in my mind, when I come to a pulpit, I'm not just going to stand up here and bemoan about how bad things are. I'm going to preach what we need. And we need the move of God's spirit. We need the outpouring of the, we need the end time revival that's been prophesied to us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Take your Bible and go with me if you would. Numbers chapter number 13, please. The book of Numbers chapter 13. If you, if you don't have a Bible, look around. Someone near you probably does, and uh, you can share your Bible with them, or they can share their Bible with you, rather. That'd be the better way to say that. Numbers chapter 13. How many of you brought your Bible? Hold them up. Hold them up. You brought your Bible. Good. So last Sunday morning, I was in the track that was happening here at 9.30 in the sanctuary, and I was sitting in the back, and this is so rare for me. I don't sit in the back of church services very often. I'm usually up front, and I was sitting in the back, and Brother Jason Weatherly was teaching, and he'd say, now let's look in our Bible, and, and he would start referencing Bible, and uh, I noticed there were some in the congregation that you have the Bible so well put to memory that you can just stare forward. I'm being facetious right now. I think there's something powerful about looking at the scriptures, looking at the word of God, and, uh, and we need that. So let's go to Numbers chapter 13, and we'll begin at verse number 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm going to read a few verses, perhaps more than I would typically read on a Sunday morning, but just stay with me. You'll, you'll get the sense of this. And the Lord, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. By the way, if you have small children, we have a class for them right now. I forgot to mention that. Birth to four years old. You can step right out in the atrium and our staff can direct them. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man everyone a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zachar, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, or Joshua, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, there I am, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vofsi, from the tribe of Gad, Geul, the son of Machai. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. That's quite a list. That'll give you a tongue a workout right there. Verse number 2 of this 13th chapter, the Lord speaks and says, Send men to Canaan, to the land which I am giving to you. So just for a few minutes, I want to preach on Canaan 
is a promised land. Would you say that with me? Canaan is a promised land. Now, how many are going to help me preach today? I need some help. I, I, anybody? Will you help me preach today? You say, well, how can we help you preach? You can amen. If something resonates with you, you can amen. If you feel like it, you can wave a hand. I'll wave back at you. You can stand up and praise the Lord if you want to. But let's, let's just go to the word of the Lord and see what the Lord will do. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. Canaan is a promised land. It stands as one of the most memorable statements ever made by a sitting U.S. president. The day was May 25th, 1961, and President John F. Kennedy was making a statement to a joint session of Congress. That's Lyndon Johnson on the left, vice president, sitting behind him, and Sam Rayburn on the right, Speaker of the House. Uh, on that particular day, John F. Kennedy said this, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. No single space project in this period will be as impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space. And none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. He made a statement on that May 25th day, about 12.30 in the afternoon, that resonated around our country. Actually, it resonated far beyond the fruited plains of the U.S. Because for several years leading up to that statement, the United States and what was then the Soviet Union, the USSR, Russia, were in a race to the surface of Earth's moon. And yet our president stood and boldly made a statement into the unknown. Up to that point, it was not known how a country could formulate a plan to send a human being to the surface of the moon. So it was a declaration that was made not based on prior accomplishment, but rather on hopeful confidence. And there's a big difference. I remember when I was a teenager, our choir at my home church would sing a song, and it was simply, don't wait till the battle is over. Anybody know this song? Shout now. I'm going to say that again. Don't wait till the battle is over. Shout now. Because how many of you know it is far easier to wait till the battle is over to lift your voice and praise God? Because we know how it's going to turn out. We know the victory. We know the triumph. But the song, at least the choir sang it, you don't, don't wait till everything gets perfect. Praise him now. Don't wait till you see victory on the horizon. Praise him when you don't see victory on the horizon. Praise him in hopeful confidence, not just prior accomplishment. 
And, and so Kennedy made a statement that really, really resonated. If you look back at some of the attempts that were made to send first a rocket to the surface of the moon and then a man to the surface of the moon, hopefully, they, they all ended uh, dreadfully. The, the, the Russians had failures and the United States had failures. And in fact, there were 15 missions in a row that ended in failure. But then it all came together. 500 million people around the globe watched on July 20th, 1969. Do I have anybody in here old enough to remember you watching this? These are all the esteemed elders in the room right here. July 20th, 1969. People watched live as Neil Armstrong descended the stairs of the Apollo 11 space module and took a small step for man, but a giant leap for mankind. Now, notice with me, that was in 1969. John F. Kennedy had long been passed. He was assassinated in 1963, and yet... His prophetic words echoed in the ears of a nation. And it served as a catalyst to win the race to the surface of the moon. And so I must, I feel under order from the Lord today to rise in this pulpit and remind some and inform others that our words are so powerful. They are powerful because they carry the weight of who we are. We cannot separate our words from who we are, but our words are so powerful. I've shared this before. When my son was just a little toddler, he had the habit of walking on the top of the couch let me stop and let that think sink in just for a moment. Not walking on the couch, walking on the top of the couch. You know, up there at the top where your back is, up there, he would walk on the top of the couch. And I can't tell you the number of times that I, being alarmed at this habit, would say loudly to my son, Landon! Quit walking on the back of the couch. You're going to fall and hurt yourself. And I want to tell you, long before this sermon, I was a prophet. <laughs> I spoke it and it came to be. I don't think it was because I was a spiritual prophet. I think it because I had a loud tone of voice. And I probably scared my son so bad that he fell off numerous times, fell off the couch, would get to crying. And then I had a, a real confluence of emotions in, my, in myself because I wanted to be merciful to him. But I wanted to say to him, I told you, son, if you walk on the back of the couch, you're going to hurt yourself. It let me realize my words are powerful. 
My words are powerful. I want to stop here long enough to say to people in this room right now, your words are powerful. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing here today, we have a choice as to what we're going to say about our reality. Now, lest you think I've come to ignore reality and act like everything's rosy and nothing's ever wrong, I understand. You get a crowd this big, there's going to be people at every different place of, of difficulty and sickness and relationship issue and background pain. But can I tell you something? It is our choice what we say about the future of that. It is my choice how I open up my mouth and what I declare with my voice about that situation. Amen. Amen. And so I am here today, I believe as the Lord has willed it, as a preacher, and I am talking. But I am not just talking, God is talking today. And God is speaking into the hearts and the minds of people who climbed out of bed on an overcast Sunday morning and decided to be in the house of the Lord. What would God say to us from his word today? Let me give you what I believe the Lord would speak. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said... And will he not do, or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? God would say to us, there's hope for our life. There's hope for our existence. There's hope for our situation. So I'm rising up in this house, and I'm taking God's word and saying it for myself. There is hope for my life. There is hope for my situation. There is hope for my reality. Come on, new life. The word of the Lord would say to us in Psalm 130, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And so the Lord would say today, Come on, try again. Get up on your feet and keep walking. Come on, get up and brush yourself off. Square your shoulders back. Ask God to forgive you and walk forward. And so I'm just going to agree with God's word and I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to square my shoulders and I'm going to say for his mercy endures forever. His grace is sufficient. I will go forward in the fear of God. The Lord would say, as Jesus declared it, I am the resurrection and I am the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Hear me today. We cannot separate his words from who he is. We cannot separate God's word to us from who he is. So if God has ever spoke a promise to us and said, I'm going to heal your body, you can't separate him from the fact that he's the great physician. You can't separate him from being the lifter of our head, as the psalmist said. We cannot separate him from who he is as he is declared. Praise God. This is why... It is vital for us to consider the power of speaking our faith and what we know. 
rather than simply speaking our fears. Everybody say speaking faith. Speaking faith. Amen. Say it with me. Say speaking faith. Look at someone near you right now and say it's your choice. It's your choice. I can speak faith or I can give in and speak to my fear. And I'm preaching to people who don't have every answer yet. I'm preaching to people that don't have every answer to every question yet. I'm speaking to people, including the guy with the microphone right now, that has some incomplete things in my life. But I'm going to choose on Sunday morning not to speak my fear, not to speak my insecurities, not to speak my inadequacies. Listen, we can get full of that all day long, and it doesn't help me at all. Or I can rise up on a Sunday morning and say, I know what reality says, but I also hear what God says. I know what my situation dictates to me right now, but I also know what the Bible declares to me. I know what the situation looks like on the surface, but I also know there's a God that sees things that I do not see and works in ways that I do not witness with my eyes. Amen. Everybody say, we have to speak it. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Revelation 12 and 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Everybody say this with me. Say the devil is a motor mouth. He never knows when to shut up. You got to get this. He never knows when to shut up. He, according to scripture, is the accuser of the brethren. He likes to show up in our weakness and capitalize on that weakness and say, I told you you couldn't live for God. I told you it wouldn't last too long. I told you people were against you. He's the accuser of the brethren. But according to Revelation chapter 12, there is something we can do to fight against the accusation. In Revelation 12 and 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So the way we fight against the accusation is to talk back to him and say, God is on my side. God is working in my life. His word is true. Come on, honey, we got to quit letting the devil dictate the conversation. When he accuses, talk back to him. Declare your testimony. So when I don't know what to do, I'm going to go with what I know. I know God is just. I know God is a healer. I know God is the lifter of my head. I know God is faithful. I know God will not leave me. I know God can do anything. 
Come on, John 8 and 58 says he's the great I am. Psalm 83 and 18, he's Jehovah. Hebrews 12, he's the mediator. Psalm 18, he's the deliverer. Ephesians 2, he's the chief cornerstone. The Hebrew writer said he is my high priest and the author and the finisher of my faith. He's the captain of salvation. He's the advocate for our souls. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. He's the Holy One. He's the only begotten Son. He's Alpha. He's Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's the first. He's the last. Come on, I got to get this in us today. He is everything. He is everything. Revelation calls him the Lord God Almighty and the King of Kings. Acts 13 says he's the prince of life. Matthew 19, he's the son of David. Jeremiah 23, he's the branch. Everybody say he's the branch. But Revelation 22 says he's also the root and the offspring of David. Luke 1 and 78, he's the day spring. Revelation 22, he's the bright and the morning star. The word says in Matthew 1, he's Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Not a part of God, not a third of God, not two-thirds of God, but Jesus is God with us. Paul said in Ephesians, he's the head of the church. Malachi called him the son of our righteousness. John said he's the lamb of God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the beginning of the creation of God. In Luke, he's called the horn of salvation. In Revelation, he's the amen. John 1, he's the word. Matthew 2, he's the governor. 2 Peter chapter 2, he's the Messiah. 1 Peter, he's the Savior. Isaiah 43, he's my Redeemer. Come on, somebody, get a hold of what God is and what God says about himself. He said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm everything that you have need of. He's the light of the world. He's the shepherd and the bishop of our soul. Peter said he is the chief shepherd. He's the one that would come, that would manifest to destroy the works of the devil. That's who he is, and that's what I must profess. Hallelujah. I choose what I speak with my mouth. And I'm going to tell you something. If, 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 I know, I listen, I understand the culture we live in wants to accentuate and lift up and exalt all the negative stuff that's happening. So it would be very easy for me to show up on a Sunday morning and say, well, the Bible does say in the last days perilous times will come. It does say that, by the way. You know what that word perilous means? It means stressful times, dangerous times. In the last days, perilous times, men shall be lovers of themselves and deny the power of God, have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. That's what's going to happen in the last days. Everybody say, that's going to happen. But let me ask you a question. What good is it if I simply reveal what God said will happen negatively? At, at, at the exception of declaring the other parts of the word of God. How many know that's not the only scripture that talks about the last days? In the last days, 
just help, help me out. I feel like I need a little help this morning. Just say yes. Say it loudly. Say yes. 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 In the last days, perilous times shall come. Yes. Stressful times will come. Yes. Dangerous times will come. Yes. People will act crazy. Yes. Everything's going crazy. Yes. But that's not the only scripture about the last days. Joel showed up and prophetically said, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Oh, I need someone to help Pastor preach right now. Shout yes. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons are going to prophesy. And your old men are going to dream dreams. On my servants. On my handmaidens. I will pour out of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. I choose what I declare. I'm just going to speak it right now. It's coming for your family. That power of God is coming for your family. That glory of God is coming for your family. That restoration is coming for your family. Come on, I wish there'd be about 12 or 15 people that would rise up and say, I'm speaking it with my mouth right now. God is bringing restoration. God is bringing outpouring. God is bringing direction. God is bringing healing. Come on, let's let that loose right now. Let's let that loose right now. My marriage is going to be saved. My kids are going to be restored. There is going to come a revival. There are going to be baptisms. Woo! Come on, I choose it today. I choose what I confess with my mouth. I want there to be an army. Listen to this pastor right now. I want there to be an army of people at New Life. I'm not talking about not realizing what's going on. We can look at reality all day long and get depressed about it. But rather lifting up our voice and saying, God, this is your promise for me. Come on, I'm preaching to people. You had a promise given to you a few years ago. Hang on to that promise. Speak that promise. That's Canaan. That's a promised land. Amen. Be seated for just a minute. Now, I want you to notice something. And maybe this is just like a, I'm a late bloomer. And like, I just didn't get it. But, but it, was, it was just far too long in my life before I finally saw this. I used to think, and incorrectly think, that the Lord spoke to these these leaders and said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose some people and I want you to go check out the land and see if you're able to take it. Okay, everybody look right up here. You've heard, some of you have heard me say this. Put your eyeballs on the short preacher's forehead here for just a second. That is not what the Lord said to do. So just in case You've been under the delusion that he said to the spies, go and check out and see if you're able to take it. That is not, this is good theology right now, that is not what God said. In fact, verse number two of the 13th chapter says it like this. 
send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Watch this. Which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Now that is completely different from go check it out and see if you're able to take it. He said, no, I need you to go spy it out, check it out, explore it. Go check out the promised land which I am giving to you. Are you with me so far? Okay, now let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever heard of anybody naming their child Shamua? Show of hands. Okay. Shaphat. Any friends of Shaphat? Eigel. Palti. Any takers? Gadiel. Careful. <laughs> Amiel. Here's a good one. Uh, uh, this is bound to be some that would have friends like this. Seether. Anybody got a good friend named Seether? Nobby. <laughs> I pray you don't have a friend named Nobby. Guel. Any Guel friends here? No? Okay. Why do you think it is that nobody remembers Shamua? Because it was Shamua and his nine buddies that walked into Canaan, a promised land, and started looking around and saying, Woo, man, this is something. Look at those grapes. They're carrying clusters of grapes on their shoulders. That's a big cluster of grapes. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Now, now just so you know, uh, when we see that in Scripture, it doesn't mean that there's like a river of honey. Some of you breakfast eaters are just foaming at the mouth when you hear that. Milk and honey. It, re it refers to a place of blessing and great. There was nothing like this promised land of Canaan. But then after they saw all the abundance, they chose to look around at who was possessing the land currently. And they said, well, you know what? Uh, the Amalekites dwell in the south of the land. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. They are a strong people. Their cities are fortified, and they are very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. Woo! You don't want anything to do with the descendants of Anak. I know this is a great place. I know it's a beautiful place. I know it's an abundant place. But have you seen the people, and have you seen their strength? And just so we get this clear in our minds, when they came back with that report, the Bible says that they gave the report, and here was the response. Put this on the screen. This is chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 1. So after they shared the negative report, all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. Now, 
Let me tell you what I do not want to have happen today at New Life. I don't want to preach. And by the way, it is 1147 for those of you keeping track. I have a friend of mine. He doesn't have, like we have back there, it shows me. I've been preaching for 35 minutes and 30 seconds right now. Did you know that? How many of you knew there's a, there a timer back there? Some of you are like, oh my goodness, i got to get my hands on that. <laughs> I have a friend of mine that pastors a church up in Ohio, and he has a timer that counts down. <laughs> the first time I preached for him, he said, no pressure, but when that hits zero, the people are ready for lunch. <laughs> That's why I made sure when we put that screen, we count up here in Cabot. We count up. But what I do not want to have happen at 1147 now is for 1.30, 2 o'clock, 2.30, 3.15 to come. And the people that have heard this preacher preach hear me preach about all the mess that's going on in the world. And for hours, you sit here and go, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Listen, if I get reports, i got to preach at a service at 2 o'clock over in Maumel for the Kidders. So if I get out of that service this afternoon and I get a report that there's three or four dozen of y'all still sitting in the sanctuary, boo-hooing your eyes out because of how negative the preaching was today, that is not going to make me feel good. In fact, I'm going to come over here and run all of you out of the sanctuary and say, go home, go home, go home. Rejoice, be glad. Because negativity can only motivate so far. And then it becomes detrimental to our faith. And so when the 10 spies showed up and all they had was negative reports, it brought about an emotion. It will bring about an emotion. It will stir people up. But it doesn't stir anybody up to act in faith. It simply causes negativity and misery and weeping and crying. And yet it was Joshua. Anybody here? named Joshua or has a friend named Joshua? Does anybody know someone named Caleb? Can I just submit to this intelligent audience? There's a reason people don't remember Shamua. And it has nothing to do with a, being a weird name. It has everything to do with the negativity that is attached to that man. But there was a man named Joshua and a man named Caleb that quieted the people. And they've started in reverse. They said, yes, there's a lot of enemies over in that promised land. They're big, they're bad, they're ugly, they're intimidating. They got fortified cities. But God is for us. And God is on our side. And God delights in us. Come on, I want somebody at New Life on Sunday morning to get in your spirit. God is for us. God is on our side. And God delights in us. And Canaan is a promised land. Canaan is a promised land. There is so much power 
in speaking our faith and not our fear speaking it over our children speaking it over our families speaking it over our church oh I gotta preach it I'm coming to a close but I gotta say it right now it's one thing you might look up here and say pastor you're just kind of that kind of guy no it doesn't have anything to do with personality it comes to decision brother and sisters I choose what I declare Oh, I want to preach to somebody who's had a sickness and you've had prayer many, many times. He's still a healer. Pray again. He's still a healer. I want to preach to some families that have been ripped apart. He's still restoring. He's still bringing mending. Canaan is a promised land. I was getting ready to walk out here to the sanctuary and I just felt the Lord nudge me that maybe there would be people here today that in your mind you remember something God promised you a long time ago that as of yet has not come to pass. But I've just come to tell you what he promises he does not forget. What he promised you, he has not forgot that. He's not on vacation. He hasn't taken time off what God said 10 years ago. 15 years ago, 30 years ago, what God declared in your spirit, what God said to you in that moment of prayer, what God declared in that moment of consequence, what God said to you, he has not forgot. That is a promised land. And so I choose how I will access that land. Are you hearing what I'm preaching today? Stand with me if you would, please. And I'm going to ask us not to move in and out right now unless it's absolutely necessary. I believe the Lord's going to speak in these final few moments in a powerful, powerful way. See, when Joshua and Caleb decided they were going to speak positive and say, God, God's for us. God said we can get to the promised land. He's going to get us to that promised land. What they didn't realize was the importance that those words had on their children. Because children naturally, that's just the way kids are, children will naturally default to communicating and thinking many times like their parents do. That's not like spiritual gifts at work. That's just life. You ever had that happen before? You respond a certain way and you go, oh my goodness, I'm turning into my dad. Oh my goodness, that was my mom right there. So when Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, there's an enemy, but God's well able to bring us. He promised it to us. He's giving us this land. They may not have realized at the moment, but they were affecting their children and their grandchildren. They were preparing where that family long-term would literally live. Listen, I want my kids living in a promise. Not just in a reality. I want my kids living in something that God declared would come to pass. Sister Harden, that's where I want my children living. I want them growing up believing God can do anything. God can work in anybody's life. God can touch any backslider. God can touch any person. He can move any mountain. 
There's no limit to his possibility and his ability. Joshua chapter 3. Verse number 1. Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel lodged there before they crossed over. There's just one thing standing between them and that promised land. That's the Jordan. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Verse 4, Yet shall there be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, and you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me say that to people in this room right now. Tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Praise God. It was, all you got to do is look at the scripture. It had been barren, it was dry, and there was a famine in Israel. And the Bible said that it was so bad that they were eating unmentionable things. I won't even get into that. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Elijah and said, this time tomorrow shall a measure of barley be sold and fine flour and there's going to be abundance in the camp. It was so different than what the reality showed. And one of the servants that was leaning next to the man of God looked at him and said, if the Lord would open up heaven, this thing couldn't happen. You know what the problem was? That servant was looking too much at the reality and not at the promise. And the man of God said, it's going to happen. It is going to happen, but you're not going to see it. In other words, your declaration of negativity has removed you from the miracle that will happen tomorrow. Four leprous men are at the gate and they're going to die. They said, we, we can't stay here, we can't go back, so let's just advance toward the enemy's camp. I mean, no, God works sometimes in ways that are so far beyond what we can understand. They start walking toward the camp of the enemy and when they get on the road, the Bible says that the Lord let the enemy hear the sound of many armies and they fled for their lives. They, and Brother Jace, here's what happened. These four leprous men, incomplete, don't have it all together, show up in the camp of the enemy. And there's turkey, chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes, white and brown gravy, green beans cooked in bacon grease, gumbo. Mm. I felt that right there. Everything that they needed, they now had because of God's supernatural provision. I just want to say this, and maybe this is just for two or three people. It can change as quick as tomorrow. Just because it's been a long time since you've seen a change is not stopping the God of change. So I'm, I'm going to lift my voice in today, and I'm going to say, you know what? You can do it, God. Work. Minister. Touch. Heal, deliver, set free. 
do the miracles, Lord. I wonder if there'd be anybody in this house that you would kind of park the reality here for a minute and just let your voice out for just a few minutes and say, God, do it. God, work. God, touch. God, minister. That means I got to use my voice to say that. Come on, we're not, we're not saying, God, please, please. We're not begging God, we're declaring it. I say it, Lord, I say it over my, there you go. Come on, some daddy is grabbing a hold of that right now. Some mama is grabbing a hold of that right now. Let's incorporate this, not just in an altar call, but every day of our life, I am speaking faith over a promised land. Canaan is a promised land. It's a promised land. It's something that God has prepared for me. It's something God is putting together for me. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And I want you to see this as we get ready to close out in prayer. Joshua 3 and 17, Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel, that's everybody associated with the positive report, crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. I just am simple enough to believe that there's coming a day in the not-too-distant future when some people that are full of promises in this room are going to look at Pastor and say, Pastor, I'm standing in the promise now. It hadn't happened before, but I'm standing in the promise now. Come on, I just believe there's going to be a time when that, that loved one that you've been praying for for a long time is going to be standing in this altar and they're going to be speaking with other tongues born again of water and spirit. You and I are going to lock eyes and you're going to say, there's the promise right there. I chose to speak it by faith and there's the promise right there. I choose to, to claim the promises of God are yea and amen.